Some of you here this morning are worried and discouraged about our country. Some of you, especially maybe who've been around for a while enough to see um, the passing of time and changes that have taken place, you may be feeling America is becoming less and less Christian. Certainly, the, the stat- statistics tell us that the number of people who say that they're not anything, they're not any religion at all, has risen a great deal just in recent years. Um, about 30% now say that they're no religion at all. Um, you, may, you, you see sexual morality being tossed out in many ways, um, even being legally opposed. Um, people seem to be approving things, endorsing things, and even celebrating things that God's Word says is wrong. And that's only half the story. That's only half the story. That's the most, that's the most recent disobedience of our country. Our country has a long history of disobedience. As we know, there are great sins in America's past. So it's a little bit of an exaggeration to say we used to be so great and now we're getting really bad. Well, we used to be really bad and we're still bad today. The cruel treatment of black Americans in our history, that ain't a righteous nation. The cruel treatment of indigenous people in our nation, that's not righteousness. Um, Even the um, uh, the, the cruel domination of, of women um, by men. Um, I'm not talking about headship. I'm talking about cruel domination, the way many men have treated women, um, not just in America, of course, but in our country as well. Um, is we have so much sin in, in our country, and, many, and these things are not just from the past. They continue in many ways uh, today. And many Christians are trying to change America, Some propose that we change America through politics. If we just get the right people in office and they pass the right things, this country will really start to turn around. And they're willing, you know, for it to uh, be whoever that they can get up there who will do what they think would be best for our country. Um, Some people are fighting sort of a culture war. They're fighting through social media, they're fighting through podcasts, they're fighting through their writings or their, or their speaking, and they're, fighting, they're, they're, they're gathering together their group and they're fighting the other group, and they're engaging in a sort of a culture war, dividing America and, and, and fighting a culture war. There are even, and this is even, this is not like just way, way out there, far, far away, you know, in some bunker in Wyoming. Um, if you're from Wyoming, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. Um, This is in our own denomination, now what I'm about to say. In our own denomination, there are even people who proudly wear the the title Christian nationalists, and they propose that we take over this country, that Christians take over the country, either legally or violently even, and establish Christian laws and and take over the top and force others to um, follow follow God's, God's word. But Jesus' answer, I think, is quite different from these, these answers. I think the answer that Jesus gives us, the, the proposals that Jesus, the suggestions and the, 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 the example that Jesus gives us um, is quite different. I mean, remember that he was 
uh, he came upon the scene as the Messiah, and he was trying to turn around. Remember, he didn't start by reaching out to the whole world. He started with the nation of Israel. Now, he was going to reach out to the whole world, but he started with the nation of Israel, and he was trying to turn the nation of Israel back to God. And he turned many, many people, of course, back to God, but he didn't turn the whole nation. And so we don't have necessarily a promise that we will ever turn this whole nation. We may and we may not. But what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be faithful? How are we supposed to follow Jesus' example in this context in which we're in with things um, so much, uh, so much uh, in our country that is, is uh, disturbing to us and, and disturbing to, and against what the Bible and against what the Bible teaches? Um, what do we do? What should we do? I'm going to say three things, and I'm going to draw them now from this text. The first thing I want to say is this. Make sure you hear, hear what I'm saying here. As Christians, as the church, the first thing that we need to do from this text, there are other things, and I'm going to talk about other things. This is just pulling from this text and just three things that I've chosen for today. Number one, befriend, befriend the worst Americans. Now, when I say that, I'm saying what we think of as the worst Americans, not what everybody thinks of, but the Americans that bother you the most. The Americans that bother your fellow Christians around you the most, befriend them. This is the way Jesus acted. This is what Jesus did. Um, the ones that bother you, instead of pull rank and pull over here and uh, declare war upon them, befriend them. And for some of you, it's different people. That's why I say who bothers you the most. For some of you, it's, this, it's these kinds of people who really bother. For some of you, it's a totally different group. Befriend those, whoever they are, who are um, the worst Americans, in your opinion, the worst Americans in maybe your groups of parents, the ones that are just, I just can't take them. I just can't stand. I do not like what they're doing and what they do. Make community with them. Draw them into your community. Introduce them to your friends, your Christian friends. Talk to them. Listen to them. Host them. Treat them as important. And this is why you should treat them as important. Because they are. Because they are. This is not pretending like they're important. Treat them as important because they are important. And support them in their lives out of compassion for their misery. Because part of their misery is, is what all of us as human beings share, the misery of, of life in this difficult age in which we live. But part of their misery is also that very, those very things that bother you, the very disobedience to God that they're living in. And, they're, and, if, and if they're not a believer, which is, will be the case for many of them, their lack of relationship with God is part of their misery. And they need help and support in that. Um, to, to, learn, to, to turn back to God and to understand who God is and to understand that there is help in God. Now look at me at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and he left everything, and he followed him. Now, you've got to understand, when you read these two verses, I think some of you know this, but some of you may not fully understand this. Levi was one of the worst Jews. 
I said befriend the worst Americans. Levi was in the category of the worst Jews. The Jews that all the other Jews, one of the kinds of Jews that all the other Jews did not like. Not only was he a collaborator with the Romans, not only did he actually rob and, and cheat his, his uh, neighbors in his community in which he lived, he cheated them by, t- by charging them too much and profiting himself off of that. Not only did he do those things and collaborate with Romans, um, uh, but But tax collectors in general were were a category that were so put away, so hated by other people, that they completely withdrew from uh, the normal things in in Israel, and they lived apart, and they had their own friends and their own own way of doing things, and they didn't follow Moses' law, and they weren't obedient to God, and they didn't have a relationship with God, and they didn't worship God. They had sort of pulled away from the Jewish faith almost entirely um, in the way that they lived. And so they were disobedient in the area of tax collecting, but disobedient in many other ways as well. They were even really considered unbelievers, that they did not follow God at all. Um, Even the Romans didn't like them. It wasn't like the Romans, like, we love these guys because they work for us. No, they hated them too, because who likes a traitor, right? (laughs) Who likes uh, someone who would... Who would, who would live the way these tax collectors lived. So they were hated by everybody. They were, Rome, even though they had a lot of money, they were actually considered lower class. They were considered uh, the worst, the worst kind of people. Um, and Jesus approaches such a one, Levi, um, um, as one of the worst Jews, and he, he invites him in. He says, follow me, which means not only is he inviting him to, to, to obey him, But he's inviting him into his community, into his circle of disciples. Now, there's debate about, is Levi Matthew? Is Matthew Levi? Maybe. And so if if that's the case, then he's one of the 12. I don't know if we know that absolutely for certain. It could be that Levi is another tax collector. But it's also very possible that this is another name for Matthew because people had two names a lot of the time. And this could be another name. But whatever, either way, he's invited into the circle of disciples. He's invited in to be part of their community. And Levi, in this case, he must have already knew something of Jesus already. You don't have a complete stranger walk on the scene that you have no idea who it is, no idea who they are or what they stand for or what they think, and they say, follow me, and you say, oh, okay. Obviously, this guy knew Jesus. He didn't know him personally, but he'd heard his teaching. He knew what he stood for. And when, when, and when Jesus said to Levi, of all people, follow me, he had heard enough of what Jesus said or heard enough about Jesus to be overjoyed by that, to be overjoyed by the. He's calling me. He's calling me. I've heard of this guy. I know something about this guy. And he wants me to be in his community and part of his circle of friends, to be one of his disciples. And he leaves. He leaves his profession, but he leaves his life of disobedience behind to, to come with Jesus and to obey. And, he received, and he's going to receive forgiveness of his sins, forgiveness of all the, that he's done before, and forgiveness of that sin and a new life, a new life of obedience. Um, he's overjoyed by by the call. And that's what we want. For our, this is what we should be wanting for our... We, I, we shouldn't go out and say to people, you know, just random people on the street, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. There's something going on here that's, that's deeper than that and already having heard teaching and responding to that so that when the call comes, he's ready to respond. But this should be what we want for the people around us. We want for them to, to, to respond to the call of God and to be forgiven of their sins 
to be forgiven of their sins. We want, we, you should want that person over there that really drives you crazy to be forgiven of her sins, forgiven of his sins, and to find a new life. Not just forgiven, but then have, have repented and turned into a new life and find a new life. That's what we should want for people is new, new life for them. Um, look at verse 29. Read on with me. Then Levi, this tax collector, held a great banquet for Jesus. He held a great banquet for Jesus with lots of good food and drink. Um, he holds it for Jesus at his house, but he doesn't just invite his own household. It's not just his household and Jesus, or maybe Jesus' disciples, though they're probably there as well, but he also invites a large crowd of tax collectors, a large crowd of tax collectors and others who later we find the Pharisees call them sinners as well, so it must have been other disreputable types, other types that were the worst kinds of Jews. The kinds of, if, if they're associating with tax collectors, they're automatically the worst kind of Jews. So these are also the worst kind of people who are with him, uh, with them and with the tax collectors. The tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now you have to understand something about that. That, that may seem like, yeah, they were, Jesus was invited, so he went, and he, you know, he was respectful and all that. But, you don't, but what's happening here? And this is in Jewish culture, but it's in all the cultures around that place, Mediterranean culture in general. If you sat down and ate with somebody, if you broke bread with somebody, you sat and ate with them, you were signaling to that person, you were signaling to the whole world, anybody who knew you were eating with them, everybody looking on, that this person is in my circle of friendship. This person is in my circle of kinship. This person is in my circle of intimacy and community. If you eat with them, you are signaling to everyone, including that person, you are with me. I'm your friend. We are friends. Now, he's not signaling that all these people in that room are Christians, that they're disciples yet, because they're not. This is a, Levi is a disciple because he responded, but the rest of this group that's there, some of them may be disciples, but may have already converted, but, but probably many, many of them are there. He's invited them. Levi's invited his friends to come and be, eat there. And this, th- these ones are not yet disciples of Jesus, and yet Jesus is still signaling to everyone, they're my friends. They're my companions. They're my intimates. I love them. I care about them. I eat with them, and eating signals that I accept them. And not yet salvation. It's hard for us to grasp that because we're thinking like, salvation? No, not salvation, but yet relationship, love, uh, a, 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 a conversation, a dialogue, a, 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 a real relationship with them. When Jesus shares a meal with unbelievers, um, people, and by the way, the description of them as sinners that both Jesus uses this word later, we'll see, and the Pharisees use it. That term doesn't mean when we say everybody's a sinner, you know, and, we, and that's a good way to use the word. That's not what they mean by that, though. Everybody's a sinner. What they mean by it is people who are unrepentant, who are living in disobedience and un, to God's word, and unrepentant. They have not repented of that. They are just living in it and not acknowledging it and not repenting of it. And so there's a group gathered around Jesus, eating with Jesus, and he's signaling to the world, these are my friends, I care about them, I love them, and he's signaling to them that as well. And they're unrepentant sinners. Unrepentant. Living in, they have just come from lives of disobedience. Living in disobedience. 
So this is why I say, you say, where did you get this idea of befriending the worst Americans? This is where. This is exactly what Jesus did. He befriended the worst Jews. And we need to befriend the worst Americans, the Americans that we think of as, as so offensive. And, 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 and we're right in the sense of there is sin in their lives. Just as these people, there was sin in their lives. Jesus isn't downplaying their sin. He's not saying their sin isn't serious. He has things to tell them and things to talk to them about. But he begins with a relationship. He begins with friendship. If Jesus was willing to be friends with them, so should we. And so we, can, we need to speak the truth. Um, I'm going to get to the fact that, that not all of us in this room, in fact, most of us in this room are not teachers. We're not Bible teachers. So what we're going to speak is going to be fairly, we're not going to be doing teaching, but we can still talk. We can speak simply. We can speak simply about what is right and what is wrong. We can speak simply about forgiveness. And forgiveness has to be spoken about whenever, we can't just talk about what is right and wrong. We must talk about grace and forgiveness. But we can't just talk about grace and forgiveness because what am I being forgiven for if I don't know what is right and wrong? So we talk about right and wrong as well and what the new life is that Jesus is calling you to. So we do both. Forgiveness, we can talk to people about forgiveness, talk to them about morality, what is right and what is wrong. But we're not, and you see this, um, I was reading James this week and I, see, I saw it in James um, this theme in James, we didn't talk about it in Sunday school. We were in James this morning in Sunday school. But this theme of we are not supposed to judge or condemn individuals. Um, that doesn't mean that we, don't, we can't talk about what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. But it means that you don't put yourself in the seat of judge and condemn a person um, and so say, remove them. They're not with God. They're not with me. I remove them. And I, you, you, are not, you are not God. You are not smart enough to do that. You are not wise enough to do that. You don't have the holiness to be able to do that. And so you don't condemn and judge, but you do talk to them about the gospel and grace and forgiveness and what is right and what is wrong. But you don't set yourself over them as, as their judge, but you, you're your friend. You're their friend talking to them about Jesus talking to them about what Jesus teaches and about his gospel. So what are some examples of this? Um, what am I talking about? I, may, I left this so general. What am I talking about? I'm talking about, um, I, mostly I'm thinking of unbelievers, but let's start, with, let's start with Christians first. Some of you may have real problems with Christians who are out there who are following really bad teaching. There are so many Christians who are following really, really bad teaching, and they're doing all sorts of things and getting involved in things that is leading them far away from what the Scriptures teach. Christian nationalists would be one of them. There's a whole group of people who are following Christian nationalists and think that that is good teaching, and it's not. It's terrible teaching. And they're following it, but there's so many other kinds of bad teaching, and, and you need to befriend them. Don't treat them as the enemy, the terrible people over there, those horrible people, but love them and treat them as friends. Um, People who are, and I need to do this quickly, but just, just to give you, to get your mind stirring, I'll mention some things. People who were born outside the faith, maybe born into an agnostic family, and they don't know much about the faith, or, they, or they're very cynical about it. People who left the faith, and they hate it now, and be ready because they may have left the faith because they really got hurt by Christians. I mean, how many Christians do you know, or how many Christians you've heard about who left the faith because they were abused by a pastor, youth leader, parent? So many people have left the faith, um, and, they, and they seem to hate it now or are bitter towards it now. People um, who are prejudiced 
towards other races and people who are prejudiced towards other cultures. Uh, people who, ha- who, who have an extreme prejudice towards other races and other cultures. You know, who wants to be friends with that kind of person? And yet we need to. Become, we need to befriend them in order to talk to them and to, and to talk through those things and to work through those things and talk about that. Um, especially maybe if you're of the race or culture that they despise. I mean, imagine that, reaching across that, that divide um, to try to befriend them. Um, ex-convicts, people who are in our community who have been in prison for crimes of all sorts, even violent crimes. The greedy Greedy people, yes, greedy, um, uh, greedy people uh, who care only about money, and that's their obsession is how much money they're going to make, is, uh, is a kind of sin, is a kind of evil. And many, many people are living in that sin. They're trapped in that evil sin. Um, and they may drive, they, they, you may, may not bother you, but it probably bothers some of you a lot. And we need to reach across those lines and befriend. People who are living in, in homo- openly in homosexual relationships, um, people who are arrogant, people who are obsessed with their personal beauty. It seems like their entire life is about fitness and beauty, and all they care about is the image that they present to you. Um, that's a sin. That's a, that's a wasted life. That's an empty life. And, but they need love. They need help. They need to find out more about what life is, is all about and, uh, and, and what they need. Um, people who actually celebrate abortion rights, um, people who, uh, who have extreme patriarchal ideas about, uh, about men being over women. I'm not talking about biblical ideas of headship. I'm talking about extreme, crazy patriarchal ideas. People who are drug abusers. People who are alcohol abusers. People who are sexually promiscuous. People who have extreme political ideas, whether it's fascism or communism. Whatever it is, extreme political ideas, and they're extreme. I could go on and on. Um, a lot of the time, we're just, a lot of the people in our country are just people who are boiling with hatred and rage and invective. And they're not the kind of people you really want to be friends with, but we need to reach out to them and be friends with them and befriend them and find out where does all this hatred and all this rage and invective come from. Okay, my second point is this. My first point, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the second two points a little bit faster because I wanted to really, st- I really wanted to put, put that, that, those, that first one forward. Befriend the worst Americans. Invite your new friends now. Invite your friends. You befriended them. Invite your friends to hear a teacher. Okay? This is really important. I want you to make sure you hear this. It's not just up to you. The church does this together. In 95 maybe 96, maybe 97% of you are not Bible teachers and should not be Bible teachers. You recognize there's callings in life, right? That God gives gifts. To some, he calls them to teach the Bible, and to most, he does not. And you shouldn't pretend you are a Bible teacher. You definitely can talk about the Bible and talk about your faith, of course, and talk about forgiveness in Jesus and what is right and wrong. But you're not a Bible teacher, and so you want if, you can, if you've known your friends for a while, to try to get them to, to hear a teacher. Like when Levi said, Jesus, come to my house. I'm going to have a big feast, and I want my friends to hear you. I want my friends to meet you and to know how loving you are and, and, and how forgiving you are, but I also want them to hear what you have to say, what your, mercy, your message of grace and your message of a new life is. I want them to hear that. Um, and so find a teacher, of, for someone who, who teaches the Word of God faithfully, forgiveness and grace, but also a teacher's an obedience that challenges all. 
You can always find a teacher who's going to teach a very narrow obedience. Like, for example, the teacher who always wants to talk about sexual matters. And all they care about is sexual, which is very, very important. And the Bible says it's extremely important, sexual matters. But we need the whole counsel of God, right? We need all the teaching that Jesus has given us. So you need teachers who teach faithfully. And instead of retreating into our churches and having our Bible studies and our worship services for Christians only, we should fill up our church services and our classes with unbelievers and those living in sin. Do you understand that? That's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have brought into church and into worship services, into classes. It's not supposed to be the worship services for Christians only and the classes are for Christians only and, and those teachers need to teach the, the Christians. It is that. That has to happen and that's very, very important. But there's supposed to be unbelievers present. If there's not unbelievers present, do we wonder why we don't have any converts? Do you wonder why no one ever, if there's not unbelievers hearing the people who have been called by God to teach the word and they're never hearing them, how will they convert unless they hear the word of God preached? How will they convert unless they hear the word of God, the word of God taught? And so we need to fill our church services and our classes. I would rejoice if 50% of the people sitting in this sanctuary on Sunday morning were unbelievers and people living in sin. That would be a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing, a good thing, because what are they hearing? The gospel. They're hearing Jesus. That's what we want to happen. That's what we want to take place. Um, and remember, verse, look at verse 31, Jesus' words. He says, Jesus answered them. And I'm going to get to what the Pharisees said in a minute. It seems like I'm doing this in a weird order. It's because I want to make a last point with what the Pharisees say. So listen, just listen to what Jesus says first. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus would look at you know, a congregation of all Christians and say, where are the sick people? <laughs> where are the sick people who need, who, need the, who need forgiveness and the work of the Holy Spirit? Not that we're not sinners, not that we don't need God's word. We do. But you see the point. The point he's making is he's drawing a, 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 a stark line between those who already have God and those who don't have God. And he's saying they need Jesus. Who, they, the ones who need Jesus, the doctor, some have already been healed by Jesus, the healthy, but the sick need Jesus. They need, and so they need to be hearing the teaching. Um, if Christians were to act like Jesus, they want to spend their time with people who need Jesus. Jesus is the doctor, by the way, not you. So make sure you understand that. You're not the doctor. The pastor's not the doctor. The teacher's not the doctor. Everyone's pointing towards the doctor. The one who is the doctor is Jesus Christ. And Jesus has compassion on those in the misery of life without God, and he alone can heal them. Salvation is in him alone, and the church altogether, we must minister Jesus to those who need him. But then the last verse here, Jesus gives his mission statement. So listen to Jesus' mission statement. This is his mission statement for his ministry. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. And sinners, once again, means the disobedient and unrepentant. So Jesus is saying, my mission is to call sinners to repentance. And I want to ask our church, and I want to ask all of us as Christians, is that our mission? Do we have the same mission as Jesus Christ? Are we all together working on this mission, which is to call sinners to repentance? And first of all, you have to know the sinners. You have to have befriended the sinners and made a relationship with them. And then they have to have heard teaching. And then you have to be talking to them. They have to understand what this is all about. So they, have, they need the teaching. And then you are, we, we can call them as friends 
Call them to, to repentance. Call them to, um, to forgiveness and new obedience. Um, and verse 29, which we already, we already looked at, remember, Levi invited his unbelieving friends to hear Jesus. We need to bring our friends. We need to talk to them about Jesus, but we need to bring our friends to hear a teacher. Um, and I, 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 I just, when I was studying this passage this week, it just dawned on me that what, a fundamental mistake that we make is that we, we think of, uh, is that out there is where we talk to the unbelievers and we, don't, and we don't try to get them into our homes or into our churches or into our, our groups and, 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 and talk to them there and have, and have teachers help us with that. So uh, real quickly, the kinds of things you can invite them to, you can invite them to the worship services, I already said. And that means that JR or the pastor, whoever's preaching or whoever's teaching in the classes, that we need to be not assuming everyone there is believers, but remember that there's unbelievers there too and, and keep that in mind in the lessons that we give, that, that, that both people need to be. You know, in the early church, and I sort, of, I sort of did that this morning with the service. In the early church, the, the, service, the worship service had two parts. Have you, ever, have you ever heard this before? The worship service had two parts. There was a turning point in the worship service. So when the church got together in the early centuries, there were two parts to the worship. The first part was for the public. The first part was for anybody who you can get in there, anybody who will show up. And what did it have? Reading the Bible, singing the Bible, praying, and preaching the Bible because they wanted everybody to hear the Word of God. What do you think happened in the second part of the service that was only for Christians? The second part of the service was then only for Christians. Well, it began with confessing their sins and then coming to the table, because the table is only for Christians, for those who have repented and those who have confessed their sins and repented. But remember, the first half of the service was for the public. So the pews needed to be filled with, or no, they didn't have pews, they stood up back then, but the, everybody needed to be, who was there in the, in the building, um, many of the people in the building were people who were from outside the church, unbelievers. Um, so you can invite people to worship, invite people to class, invite people to, you can have a teacher to your home and invite friends over and have the teacher there, just like Levi did. Or it can be anywhere. Take a teacher, take a few other Christians and, and, and meet some of these friends that you have anywhere. Um, go on a camping trip, a trail walk, a coffee shop, a cigar shop. Um, I, think we know, I think we know a cigar shop around here. A restaurant, a bar, God forbid. These are places where these things could go. Now, the third point I don't really need to spend a lot of time on, and it's not really, I'm sort of, to have three points this morning, I'm sort of uh, smearing things a little bit. But here's my third point. Remember, my first point was befriend the worst Americans. My third point is upset the best Americans. Upset the best Americans. We want to go so far with this that the people that we think of as the best Americans, the ones who are so obedient, so responsible, so respected, so good, that, that some of them are downright frustrated, irritated, upset, shocked by the behavior of this church. That has to happen. That's going to happen. We don't do it on purpose to bother them or shock them, but it will be the result. The result of reaching out to the wrong people will be that the right people get upset. That's what happens. Are we ready for that? Are we willing to upset people? Are we willing for uh, churches around to say East Ridge Prez is, has some bad people at their church? 
And, and it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a bad church because of that. Are we, willing, are we willing for Christians who visit our church to come in and say, I can't believe you have these people in here and not come back? Are we willing for there to be Christians sitting here who are, who are members of the church to get offended by the presence of unbelievers and leave the church because the church is no longer a safe place? Because there's bad people here, <laughs> is the idea. So it's not a safe place. So I don't want to be there anymore and to go, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to, for that to happen? Um, are we willing for the people of our town um, who think they are the good people of our town to not like it very much? What's going on? Are we willing? And this is a reality. This has happened in the past. This, this is, when I say this, this is not fiction. This is not uh, imagination. Are we willing for the, the houses, the homes around us, who we want to love the people in those homes, so I'm not, I'm not saying we're against them. We are for them. We are for every family and every house around this church. We want to love them, and we want to be for them, and we want to love them. But are we willing to bring people into our church or into our youth group or into our classes that they are upset that they're so close to their house? Oh, we've, that's happened before, by the way. That's happened multiple times before. Are we willing, are we willing to do that? Well, what, where am I getting this from? And then I need to close. The Pharisees, verse 30, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the good ones, the good Jews, who belonged to their sect, they complained to his disciples. They didn't go straight to Jesus. They complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? If you guys are so righteous, if you're teaching a way of righteousness, how can we believe you that that's a way of righteousness if you are, remember what eating means with someone, to eat with someone means, if you are friends with those kinds of people, if you love those kinds of people and you welcome and accept those kinds of people, how can we believe that you're righteous and that your teaching is righteous and that your disciples are righteous? I need to close, and I'm going to close with this. Everyone here now, I'm speaking to everyone in the room, and I do this a lot with these stories where Jesus encounters a person. Remember that you, so far in the sermon I've been saying, let's follow Jesus' example in his interaction with Levi. But now I want to flip it, and this is what I want to say. Everyone here, remember, everyone here, you are Levi. You are Levi. Jesus calls you to follow him. There is sin still in your life, and he offers you full forgiveness. He offers you grace. Because of his death on the cross, there is full pardon, full cleansing of that sin. And he, but, he, but he also wants the, the, that to be the, the road into new obedience. And when you're a Christian already, that means you, can, you acknowledge your sin, some sin that you, you see in your life. You see that sin, and you turn from it to new obedience. It's somewhere you haven't been obeying yet. You're forgiven of it, and you start on a path of new obedience. You were obeying in many ways, but in this particular area, you were sinning, and so you take up a new obedience. And if you're an unbeliever, it's, it's a full life thing. It is, a, it is a turning from the life that I lived before to a new life under Jesus and following Jesus' way. And he offers you forgiveness, and he offers you his Holy Spirit so that you can live in this new obedience.